fellow nerds, and welcome to another episode of the Modern Health Nerd Podcast, where every week we bring you fascinating conversations with the movers, shakers, and innovators in food, health, agriculture, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Teresa Sam Houghton. This week, I'm excited to introduce you to Alexander and Graham, the founders of Babylon Microfarms. Babylon is tackling the issues of food security and food sovereignty with a connected network of microfarms that they're trying to build across the country. Right now, they're pushing into institutions like schools, workplaces, and senior living centers with their microfarm installations. But what they're really after is the technology. Alexander and Graham explain it so well, and we dig into everything from why this can be a great solution to help people eat more fresh produce, to what we need to do to really change the food system and how indoor vertical farming, along with a return to traditional regenerative agriculture, can help make the shift to a healthier, better, and more equitable food system. We had a great conversation, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. If you do, please give us a rating and review on your favorite podcasting platform. And now, Alexander and Graham, founders of Babylon Microfarms. Alexander and Graham, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I'm very excited to have you guys on and hear a lot more about what you're doing. Thanks so much for having us. It's, uh, it's great to be here. So could you just introduce yourselves and tell us a bit of the Babylon Microfarms story. I was reading more of it earlier and watching some of your YouTube videos, and it's really, it's very both fascinating and encouraging to me. Also, I'm Alexander Olson, the co-founder and CEO of Babylon. I'm Graham Smith, co-founder and CEO. Yes, we, um, Graham and I have been at it for like, what, nearly four, four years now? Uh, yeah. I kind of forget, but, but we were um, initially at uh, UVA. Uh, the social entrepreneurship program there has uh, an open source software class, so they look at the um, uses for open source design um, in developing countries. And so this is at the kind of height of the refugee crisis. And uh, we are developing like a low cost food system concept for use in refugee camps that could be replicated based on our designs. And um, that project was just really eye opening for me and um, introduced me to hydroponics, which is like growing plants in water instead of soil. You can grow plants in 90% less water, no pesticides or chemicals, all of that, which I was so excited about. And um, then Graham and I saw that there was an opportunity to do this at like a small scale and we kind of started tinkering in the early days at least. And so what, what are you doing now with your solutions? You, you, you offer the vertical farming solutions that are installations, they're IoT connected. It seems from looking at what you, you offer in your videos that they're super simple to operate. They're completely like app based. Where are you putting these things and how are they helping people? Yeah, I mean, so these days, I think most people, if they have heard of hydroponics or indoor farming at all, they normally think of those giant warehouse farms with, you know, 25 stacked tiers of lettuce under LED lights. To Alex's point, we've always thought about this space very differently, not about how many plants can you cram in one warehouse, but how much space do you need to make a meaningful dent for a family or a business or something like that. Um, so we had to develop very different technology to make that feasible. Um, so we automate everything from nutrients, pH, lighting schedule for these industrial refrigerated refrigerator sized farms um, so that we can rent them to businesses like restaurants, senior living communities, corporate dining cafeterias, places like that. Um, so that they can kind of 
grow the food right in front of the end consumer and allow that end consumer to actually be engaged with their food. You know, I think like in terms of how we're helping people, I, I think it's important to kind of reference what was the status quo before we created this technology. And like, you know, to build a small hydroponic farm, you're having to monitor and control all of these different variables around the environment, the solution, the plants are growing in. And this little science experiment you have to do, it's not rocket science, but it's enough. You know, you're doing it like different recipes or environmental recipes for every crop type and every stage of growth. And they're always changing. And so to reliably do that and consistently do that, it's a quite a big undertaking. And there's a steep learning curve there that would put a lot of people off. Um, and so that's really what we've kind of reimagined and, and they're designing a lot of the software and the technology to create a completely new experience, which would make this kind of sustainable agriculture accessible without the learning curve and all the difficulties associated with it. Since it is a little bit of a complicated space and still kind of a new space, Alexander, you touched a little bit on this, but what really got you interested in doing this and what, what was kind of the genesis of what became Babylon and how did you make that switch from where you started to where you are now? Um, initially, we wanted to do people's homes. I think you know, it's, a, it's a pretty common trait in startups where it's like, if only everyone can do this, you can do it in people's homes. Often turns out to be a little more difficult than that. But yeah, we, we started sort of basically conceptualizing like what is the minimum square footage to feed a person and a family? And then that was basically made us realize it was possible to do it in someone's home and, and not, you know, in not a huge amount of space. And so that we looked at appliances, we looked at furniture that feeds you, we did all sorts of like iterating, um, many long nights <laughs> to building, doing stuff. And um, and then through that process, we realized that the, um, with, with some of the early adopters and customers and things like that, that uh, it was really the software and the, the kind of remote management, as we call it now, like using Internet of Things to run things through the cloud. That was where the business lay and the innovation needed to happen. So we focused all of our attention on that. And that is kind of given us the momentum to get where we are today. I am a sucker for a lot of things that are IoT connected and cloud-based and to see food being cloud-based and and the ability to connect all of this together, it really excites me. So since you saw that as a place for innovation, how did you and how do you connect that to contributing to a better food landscape? The one obvious one that I see is the fact that people can now grow fresh produce on site. So there are several implications from that, but I'd love to hear from you guys how you see Babylon Microfarms fitting into this improvement in the food system that so many people are now starting to contribute to. I, I think it's part of the solution. I think the traditional agriculture system is kind of failing us. It's really good at turning out crops with you know, very little nutrition that are on board a truck for 2000 miles. Um, so I, I think that part of the solution is, you know, more localized agriculture that respects the land and the people actually farming it and can churn out good local food. Um, I think where we come in is really making the next generation of technology available to the food system um, and bringing the benefits of hydroponics, like the sustainability, biodiversity, and the nutrient concentration, you know, the increased nutrients available in hydroponics, making that accessible to people, but also doing it in a way that actually gets people engaged with their food. I, th I think that last point is very key. It's not just very high quality. It actually shows people exactly where their food is grown and that it's grown in a very safe way. 
I think that's spot on. Like, you know, everyone in Babylon is just as big a fan of regenerative outdoor ag as anyone, but you need alternatives. It's not a one size fits all solution. And we've really been designing the technology and the kind of the, the brains behind this uh, and the backbone of it to really grow the market and the opportunity for indoor ag. Um, right. You, I'm sure you might have seen these. There, there are lots of beautiful renderings online about buildings full of vertical farms. And I think someone needs to make that a reality. And I think oh, that's really where we come in with building the technical backbone to allow for this like amenitization of indoor farming, which brings produce consumption into communities and businesses in the US and around the world. And, and basically like the, the hardware is there, it's really the technology that needs to catch up. And that's where we fit in. And hopefully, you know, we kind of bring around this next wave of perishable produce is all growing on site. Um, that's what we want to see it happen. Like a kind of sustainable food infrastructure piece. You've got solar panels on the roof and the vertical farms in the kitchen. So right now you're serving markets like restaurants and senior living do you have thoughts on expanding into other places? Because it sounds almost like this could be anywhere. This could be a restaurant. This could be a grocery store. What are your thoughts and, and visions on that right now? I would say that's one of the most difficult things we deal with. It's like the most exciting thing about what we're doing and the most dangerous thing. Because for any business, you've got to focus on one thing and do one thing well. Um, but you know the way we're designing the technology is that it's crop and hardware agnostic. So it's not a product, it's more the process. And so we can apply that in different ways as we grow. Right now, we're looking to kind of dominate the institutional food service markets. That's really anything from education through the healthcare. And that's a great place for us to start. And then from there, we're definitely going to be looking at new verticals, grocery, you mentioned, maybe even residential and community scale. That's really where this starts to go. And I think it's there's kind of an adoption curve issue where a lot of those segments are more price sensitive that they face other challenges so once you get past the institutional crowd they're really the sky's the limit and i think that's hopefully what we're, we're designing the foundations for now is that we have a pretty flexible solution that can uh, adapt twist and turn and kind of enter all these different verticals over time i'd like to go back a little bit to a point that graham was making since we're talking about how you can expand this pretty much everywhere the engaging with food I have a soft spot for that, having been a health coach, having been someone who has teachers in the family and have seen how children sort of eat when they're in an educational institution. I'm not sure you can call a lot of it food despite our best efforts to do so. I'd like to hear a little bit about how you've seen this engagement working now, how it's benefiting people, and any thoughts you have for expanding that in the future? Because that's one of the things about what you're doing that excites me the most. I mean, I, th I think we're in the really early days uh, as we're such a young company to see like, what are the kind of fruits of our labor with getting people engaged with the, the food that they're eating. Um, but we've already actually seen some pretty cool evidence that something's happening. Behind Alex on our Zoom call, you can see a couple farms that he's virtually visiting us from. Um, that's a senior living location based in Charlottesville. And they've actually seen that by doing activities around the farm and by growing the produce right where the, the residents are dining, they're actually more excited about eating produce and they're eating something like 35% more grains. And we've seen specifically with senior living, they're actually innovating around the product more than we ever 
guest. Like they were coming to us with ideas about activities to run with the farm. So they were doing events around harvesting and planting and naming the crops and stuff like that. Um, so we're, we're really seeing that paid dividends by the, the residents eating more healthy stuff, which in turn will make them happier and healthier. We've also seen their retention. So the actual staff at the location um, is improving. So again, it's kind of early days, but we are seeing that the people around these farms are kind of healthier, healthier, happier, and more engaged. Great pair mentioned earlier, like the engaging people that food. I think it goes, it goes a little bit deeper than that, right? Because it's people want to be educated. They want to understand. I think we're really a, a great platform for that, where some produce items, a lot, a lot of stuff we grow is typically pre-prepared and bagged up you don't even know anything about where it came from i think what we're seeing is this is bringing it to consumers in a very different way where it's like educational it's experiential and yeah it's, it's, it's super exciting to see people run with your products and do stuff that you hadn't even thought of i think it's like a very powerful uh, message and hopefully a great sign for us as we continue to grow that's a really impressive statistic with the 35 percent more consumption just by being there and seeing it what what kinds of produce can you currently grow and what are you planning to uh, be able to grow and allow people to grow in the future? From an industry-wide point of view, it, it's scientifically possible to grow like any crop hydroponically, whether it's economically feasible or practical to do so, it's a completely different question. But um, what we're seeing is like new produce items coming online, so to speak, where like once the economics line up, then this sort of disruption happens. And we've seen, you know, in the U.S., like tomato production and other vine crops, really like a huge uh, share of the market is now grown indoors from nothing, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And um, we're seeing that happen now with leafy greens and herbs. And I think the next wave is strawberries, berry crops um, that we expect to come online, like all the technologies there to do it. And a lot of what we're doing at on our microfarming scale is designing so that we're learning from the recipes um, and we're basically creating a kind of knowledge base that will allow us to grow other crops um, and kind of uh, support this growth as, as people want to do it. So the berry, berries are up next, but I think beyond that, there's a lot of opportunity and kind of like fruiting, flowering crops. That's exciting because the more you can expand, the more people can experience this. And I like that you include experiential as one of the things that is different and I would say really important about what you're doing because our experience of food, as you've both kind of mentioned, and as I've observed, is very detached unless you are in specific communities or you run in specific circles. I personally live in a little bit of a bubble because I spend a lot of time at the local co-op and I hang out at the farmer's market. So I have a bubble that's a, a little closer to where the food comes from. How have you seen this being an eye-opening to people? You mentioned some of the, the changes in some of the senior living facilities. Are there other areas where you've seen this drawing people back to literally the roots of where food is grown or how food actually is produced versus going to the store and picking up like a bag of salad mix? I'm trying to think of, of examples. Like I, I think we're seeing this impact on the way people consume. Like, well, they'll have a, a salad. They'll make a salad in front of people. They'll harvest it, has the roots on, you know, things like that, which are quite visceral. And I think a lot of people don't get to see that uh, in the supermarket. Well, certainly get to see in the supermarket and very few people see it outdoors. So I think bringing that right in front of people does have 
quite a powerful impact. I'm trying to think of like specific examples, but yeah, hopefully the nature of what we're doing is kind of all about that experience that makes people think about what they're doing. And I know like hydroponically growing produce is pretty much associated with like as good, if not better than organic. And they kind of go hand in hand, right? If people are looking to change their diet, they can suddenly look for these forms of agriculture that are more sustainable and more and more nutritious. So hopefully we're, we're helping with that. Speaking of sustainability and nutrition, how does having one of your micro farms in a facility stack up against the same facility trying to get the same produce from outside sources? And I'm also curious a little bit, and people who are listening who maybe aren't as familiar with hydroponics, how does the nutrient profile stack up? You mentioned before, and this is something that is very prominent in the news and the literature, that our soil is depleted, we're using too many pesticides, we're using too much fertilizer, and so we have crops that look like food but aren't as nutritious as the food that our grandparents, great-grandparents ate. So how does a micro farm stack up in, in that area? It's very dependent on what you grow. Um, you know, I think that is something, it's a challenge across the industry, but like, you know, it's still a little bit of a premium, but we're, we're getting pretty close to equivalent like local farmers market kind of prices. Um, in certain instances, you know, microgreens, herbs, things like that, we can really save people a lot of money. Um, and really, there's a simple engineering challenge underpinning our company and, and the, the space, right? You've got to scale up production, now bring the cost down. So we have a really clear path to getting to like wholesale pricing. And that's what we want to do as we continue to grow. As far as nutritional density is in cream, you want to speak to this more, but we're actually getting our, our produce samples tested in the lab and they're showing up to be uh, more nutritionally dense than conventional outdoor growing crops by by quite a significant margin. So really, really a lot of optimism for that and kind of creating this new category of on-site farming around nutritionally superior perishable produce items. That sounds like not only a good selling point, but good for all of the people who are consuming this produce. For sure. Yeah. That's kind of what well, we, we, we see it. We, we're, we're eating this stuff every day. So we get the... <laughs> we, we know it tastes good but I think for a lot of people when they get to see that it's like actually better and quantifiably better that's where we really start to create a strong foundation to kind of scale this concept yeah well, I'm pretty excited about the the nutrient concentrations because I, I think that you know we're just starting to get the data in now so I don't want to share any specific numbers we want to make sure that we're fact checking rigorously and we don't get taken out of context or anything but it's very promising and I think that is kind of a testament to the damage that's done to your produce when it is grown in Salinas Valley, California, and sits on a truck for a couple of weeks. So I will be excited to share the results when we are sure we understand them. I'll be excited to hear them because living in upstate New York, if I'm eating something that was grown in California, it's come along. By the time I pick it up, Sometimes in the clearance section, because the prices are really good, I who knows how long it's been since it's been in the ground versus like, the greens I pick up at the farmer's market that were harvested very recently. With all of these different areas that you're focusing in and with the way our, our food system does need the improvement, we can see already how you're contributing to a better food system. What do you think really needs to be the next big area where companies like yours, companies in, in other spaces that are contributing to the food system, where do we need to be focusing for the future of food and to make sure that people are eating well and have access to good food as things are, are really uncertain and are probably going to continue to be a little strange for a while. 
That, that is a, an immensely big question. I think the one thing that jumps to mind is like reporting standards. I think the way that food is reported and quantified by consumers is just so flawed today. Like organic certification itself is so flawed. It's an expensive per location thing. It's a paid for, pay to play stamp that you get to put on your produce. And it doesn't actually mean it is regeneratively grown or, or good for the environment. It actually does, it does allow the use of certain pesticides you know, things like that that many people don't know. And again, uh, a lot of indoor grown stuff is not seen that way, but I think there is a growing consensus in the community, basically kind of using data and creating um, accreditation for indoor growers that points out all of the benefits in a way that consumers understand. I don't think that exists today. I think once the industry gets it back together and those kind of things exist, it can be really powerful for driving consumer interest because everyone knows they want to eat better food like you see organic spending keeps going through the roof um and i think indoor growing is even better and people just don't know that yet so reporting sounds what comes to my mind at least yeah i mean i think there's so many areas where our food system and agriculture system can improve i think one thing that's been on my mind lately is thinking about how we can get more opportunities to the little guy like the little farmers i think something like 70% of the world's farmland is right now controlled by the top 1% of farming companies, which to me is just an outrageous kind of imbalance. And I think as new technologies come online, that's only going to exacerbate it, especially with indoor farming, which I think actually has some larger barriers to entry. You know, you need really big economies of scale to justify um, the technological expertise that's required to kind of string all the technology together that you need to run one of these farms, as well as the horticulture expertise, um, and then like the logistics, marketing, sales, stuff like that. So I, th I think the barrier to entry is even larger, and that could end up leading to a greater imbalance that I think we're already seeing with the top five or so companies in the indoor farming or vertical farming space. They've probably raised, it's hard to even keep track of it, like over a billion dollars in you know recent months alone. So it's, that's something that's been on my mind lately. Like how can we kind of shift the food system so that the little farmers have, have a shot? Because I think some of the other problems or solutions to those problems kind of come in line. When you have a, a little farmer running their farm, I think they're more engaged with the end customer and they're more engaged with the produce they're growing. I think you see that with outdoor agriculture, the, the little guys are a little more likely to use better farming practices and respect their land and stuff like that. So I'm trying to see how we fit into that. And I think we're kind of aligned because we're really minimizing a lot of those hurdles to entry into this kind of high tech vertical farming space. Um, it is very accessible to the point where some senior living community who has absolutely no horticulture or technology expertise can actually grow the food right in front of you. But I am interested to see like how we can create a bigger movement to solve that imbalance between the, the local people and the, the huge companies. I, I want to see that like just following that, like I think the indoor big indoor farms and small indoor farms that we do are not in are at odds with each other at all. I think they're part of the solution. You know, an analogy we use very often is like you have big solar arrays in the desert. And then you have some, you know, different business models, different technology, but you have distributed roof solar on people's rooftops. Everyone still wants clean energy, right? Neither one of them are better than the other, but they're both needed to be 
solution. I think for this concept to scale, we need more accessible alternatives that are smaller, uh, more affordable, more automated and easier to use. And that's where we come in. So we're, we're kind of driving that charge to build a new category within the book farming space that isn't big, like uh, capital intensive ag. And I hope uh, one day the vertical farms are as um, you know synonymous with clean infrastructure as renewable energy sources and, and things like that. Since you have centralized everything with the tech and you, as Graham was saying, you've minimized some of the barriers to entry. I'm a little curious about farming is obviously an expensive process. There's a lot of inputs. There's a lot of manpower necessary. But also with vertical farming, you have different kinds of inputs. You have the light, you have the nutrients. And how does that stack up energy use wise and just resource wise in terms of output? How much do you have to put in to get maybe an equivalent amount out as you would in an outdoor farm, particularly one of these large scale farms where the vast majority of things like our greens are coming from? I think it harping back to something Alexander said before, I think it really depends on what, where you're making the comparison. Like, is it to a very well-run regenerative farm or is it one of the large guys over in Salinas Valley? Some things like nutrient runoff, I, I believe are kind of in our favor. Just the fact that you're not spraying a field that runs off into a groundwater or something like that, I think has some inherent value because the water actually recirculates um, for us for weeks at a time, you have, you're actually dumping less. It's kind of in the system until the plant takes it up. Electricity, I think again, and you know, carbon, I think is very hard to quantify. And I think you see people in indoor farming space claiming numbers. It's really hard to like actually add up all of the fossil fuels that go into the transportation um, as well as the fossil fuels that are actually used in the creation of those fertilizers. Um, so it, it's really hard to say without actually comparing to specific suppliers. But I think as we move forward in the renewable energy space, that will kind of go hand in hand with indoor ag becoming even more and more sustainable for the planet. Because once that energy is actually, you know, not driven by fossil fuels as it is in a lot of parts of the country, that will have a lot of a lot of benefits for us. That is a good marriage of the two things. I think that's going to be an exciting space to watch is watching the renewable energy and the indoor ag. So I have a big question that I ask everybody, and so I'll ask the big one: If you had unlimited power, unlimited resources, and you could bring about one change in our modern food and agriculture system what would it be? And I know that's a big question, but remember you have all the power and resources you need at your disposal. We're, we're dreaming big here. Do we get a both answer or is this like a, a collective answer? You, you can both go ahead. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Uh, my two cents would be the end of like monoculture. Like a monoculture crop cultivation is like fundamentally flawed in so much as it relies on like toxic and artificial inputs in order to sustain itself. And while it was efficient in its heyday and has brought you know a lot of people out of poverty and hunger and things, which you know, deserve some merit, I think we now have the tools available to return the land to its natural state and actually still be just as productive. So actually, that doesn't help our case in Indo farming. Hopefully, we're part of it. <laughs> it lets it happen, but that would be my one thing if you had to put your finger on it. I don't know if there is just one. I'll, I'll pick one. It's, it's not nearly as concrete as what Alexander said, but. <laughs> 
I wish people just like respected the food they eat. I think it's kind of sad that you go to the grocery store and it's in a plastic package. It's kind of thought of as a material commodity fuel to keep us going kind of thing. I hate that there's just walls of plastic packaged food um, and you, you take it home and you eat some of it and you throw the rest away because it, you know, it, it sometimes feels endless if you don't really understand where that food is coming from and what it means. I think if everyone did respect their food, they'd be more likely to understand its impacts on their health and they'd be more likely to want to see who is actually growing it and how they're growing it and make sure they're actually okay with how that's done. And I think that would kind of lead to a lot of other benefits for us. It's so true. I feel like the, the concept of like the fact that a food desert is even a term and exists is like an embarrassment to humanity. I agree with you there. And the fortunate thing about what you're saying, Graham, is that you have an opportunity with what you're doing right now to start that dream. You've already started working on that dream and you have a platform to educate people experientially and with the voice that Babylon has out there. I mean, I follow you guys on LinkedIn and to everyone listening, if you're on LinkedIn, definitely follow Babylon Microfarms. They are posting some great stuff. Where else can people find you and get in touch with you if they want to know more or if they are interested in seeing if what you have is a good solution for their institution? BabylonMicroFarms.com website has a lot of information on there. If you reach out, um, someone will definitely get back to you. You know, we're growing our distribution across the U.S. at the moment. So anyone really in North America, we really implore you to reach out to us. Yeah. Instagram, LinkedIn, and website, I think, are the main main ones for us. And um, yeah, just shoot us, shoot us a message and we'll make sure to get back to you. All right. And I will put all of that in the show notes so that people will be able to find it and go straight there. And I know that you also have a couple of videos. One of them is on your website. And I think, is the other one, uh, are they both on YouTube? Yeah, and watch those videos. It's very cool what they're doing over at Babylon. So thank you again, Graham and Alexander, for being on the show. I'm so glad to be able to share what you're doing. And I'm excited to see you guys literally grow as time goes on. Me too. Um, Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. It was a good time. I can't thank Alexander and Graham enough for their time and for sharing their fantastic insights. As a former health coach and a big foodie, I can't help but agree with the fact that we need to respect the food that we eat more, and we need to return to ways that bring it closer to home and make it more nutritious as food was meant to be. So thanks for joining this episode of the Modern Health Nerd Podcast. Again, if you liked it, please give us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform and join us next week for the launching of a very special themed month our first theme month here at the Modern Health Nerd Podcast. We're kicking off our February Fitness Month next week, and I am so excited about the interviews I'm going to be able to share with you. I had such great conversations with some of my favorite people who are the movers and shakers in the fitness space right now. It's going to be a great month, so I hope that you'll join us and that you'll grab a friend who loves fitness and let them know that we're going to be talking about that here at the Modern Health Nerd. And again, Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Hope to see you next week for Fitness Month.